Due to the graphic nature of this program, listener discretion is advised. To the west of the great continent of Kern lies the island provinces of Perth, home to brave seafarers, exotic pleasures, storms of swirling magical energy, and cults dedicated to the old gods. Upon these white sands came the Eve's Watch, a band of sellswords and brutes seeking their fortune upon the shores of these lands. Let me tell you of this age of legends, for I and I alone am keeper of their saga. This is their chronicle. Lovac and Shin, you're escorted by that soldier to the barracks. He enters the barracks with the two of you following behind him, and he leads you up a set of stairs to Kushim's room. Just going to walk right in. There's a door, just going to open and walk in. He waits outside. Lovac strolls in like it's his room. Shin follows right behind. Pretty Spartan furnishings. There's armored dummies there with suits of armor on him. Several weapons, very well cared for. Hung in the room, a bed, a chest at the foot of the bed, and a trunk. Does it look like the room's been, not necessarily ransacked, but quickly packed away, or is it just nice and neat and orderly? Neat and orderly, like you would expect the soldier's room to be kept. I said we go through and see if we can find anything that would suggest that octopoid brooch that we've seen a few times. Absolutely. Toss the room. Well, I don't know if to say toss the room, but let's search the room. It's a phrase. I'm going to start going through everything, see if I can find any indication that he has uh, any affiliation with the red-robed individuals. Anything out of the ordinary, anything non-soldierly. Make some investigation checks. Well, those are horrible. (laughs) Roll a one and a five. 21. You're going through the trunk at the foot of the bed and the trunk that is elsewhere in the room in the desk. Haven't found anything of real interest. There's very few articles of clothing in the room that is notable. And as Shin is pacing the room, he steps on a board and the board creaks. The other boards just hear your footsteps from your boots, but this one creaks and dips a little bit when you step on it. So I will take out a dagger and pry up one end of the board. You begin prying up the board and the board is attached to another board. It's a small two-by-two area. Pick it up by wedging your dagger in there and prying it up, and there's a small recessed cavity under the floorboard. What, pray tell, is inside? Find something interesting? We're about to find out. I'm spending more time looking at the weapons than I am really looking for anything else. (laughs) There is a small book in there with the backside up. Anything written on the outside? Nothing on the back of the book that you can see. I will pick it up and flip it over. Anything on the spine, anything on the front? The front has a simple engraving in it. It's a leather book cover with inlaid with gold of an octopoid creature with several tentacles ringing it, almost like the rays of a sun. As you pick it up and lift it out of the cavity, a glint catches your eye. Underneath it is a brooch. Oh, I... Pull the brooch out and examine that at the same time. It is the same 
design as is on the front of the book. Does the book have a latch? No. Then I will randomly pick a page somewhere in the middle and open the book to that page in order to determine what the writing is. It's written in a language you don't recognize. There's some words that look similar to your native tongue, but not entirely the same language. Put them both away for now in a pouch and make sure there's nothing else in there. No false bottoms, no false sides, that kind of stuff. Second search, Romy investigation. Are you tell me what you found? 11. Reveals nothing. Now I will go over and say, hey, I've got this nice book now and a brooch. We got proof. I'm not going to be as nice and neat anymore. I'm cutting open a mattress. I'm flipping beds. I'm ripping the dresser away from the wall. I am tearing this room apart. I'll take boards off. If anything even seems loose, I'm going to rip them out of the floor, tear them out of the wall, ceiling slats. A proper ransacking. You leave no stone unturned. Investigation, just in case there is something here, would be either a 17 or a 10. As you're going through his room in its entirety, a very intimate and intrusive search of the room. Oh, very intrusive. You find a journal under the bed, tucked up against the trunk that's at the foot of the bed. I'll hand it over to Shin. Here, I found this, and I'm going to continue my destruction. I will do the same as I've done before, examine the outside first. It's a simple black leather-bound Pick a random page and open it. It is obviously his journal. As you're flipping through the pages, sitting on what's left of his mattress, and the goose down that's all over the room by this time. Falling like snow. Stuck to Lovak's armor and cloak, scattered across the floor, stuck to the wall. Shin sits on what's left of the mattress. And as you're flipping through the pages, a lot of it are journal entries on campaigns he has been on, his day, notes on training for the soldiers, a list of soldiers' names. It's about 25 names long, complete names and rank on it. You know there's far more than 25 soldiers. Question? Yes. The ranked soldier who is outside the door, is his name on that list? It is not. One entry catches your attention, and you continue reading on several more entries after. This is at the very beginning of the journal. It is discussing his affection for the princess and his courtship of the princess, the queen's dismissal of the courtship, and the princess's refusal of his hand in marriage. What are his personal thoughts on his state of being at the end of that series of events. There's a lot that's going on there. There's sadness. You almost feel as though his feelings were hurt. And then the sadness gradually becomes anger. The anger gradually becomes malice towards the princess. And then malice towards the queen. Scanning through the rest of it, is there any point where it seems that the writing style changes? No, it it appears as though it is written in the same voice. The style of the writing doesn't change. It's in the common tongue and not Perthen. There is a few mentions of a Mendonok, but not many. That name is not peppered throughout the journal. The name Zayaran appears several times on the last several pages of the journal. There is a sketch 
the gem, several sketches of the princess, and there's also mention a ritual, the princess's involvement in the ritual, what her role is, and what the outcome, her desired outcome, of the ritual is. And then at the end, there's an entry that says, then she will be mine. Do you want to give me specifics now on the princess's role and the outcome? Because that's what I'm concerned about. The plan appears to be that the princess will be part of a ritual performed by Zeyron. Zeyron's name is used interchangeably, it seems, with the sorcerer. The goal of the ritual is to impregnate the princess with the child of the old god Shagaloth, who will become Shagaloth once the child is born. So the child of Shagaloth and Shagaloth in this world are one and the same. He wishes to be a demon's daddy. Okay. Look over my shoulder. Is there anything that has not been destroyed left in the room? No. Ready to go? We need to get this to the queen now. Okay. I'm going to take the best of the swords, the best sword that's in the rack, and just leave the one I took from the soldier earlier. Kushim's weapons are very nice. I doubt his longsword's better than mine, but the second wouldn't hurt. And okay, let's go. And we will beat feet back to the queen and the rest of the party. Am I back with the party? Yes. You meet Lovak and Shin as the three of you are crossing the palace grounds towards the palace itself. Did you find anything good? Oh, we found some really good stuff. Like what? Uh, I will hold up and show you the front of the book. Okay, it's a book. It's got a big octopi on the front. Oh, okay, got it. Anything else? A little brooch that also has an octopi on it and a journal that shows complicity and a plan to take over the princess. Let's not mention any of that in front of Jabal because we have a contract from him and he's willing to pay for his hand's weight in gems. So if Jabal doesn't know that we're going to take him out anyways, we have a contract on him. Oh, okay. I don't want to say anything in front of that greasy-tongued individual anyways. It was actually the uh, greasy tongue. The weight in gems of Jabal's greasy Greasy tongue tongue from Kashim, but then Jabal was willing to give us the weight of Kashim's hand. Right hand. Right hand. Rings included. Rings included. Nobody's getting along right now. (laughs) In... Lovax and Shin's and Ku's absence, did anything transpire in the throne room while we were there? The queen questions Jubal. The queen is quite pleasant, but you've seen her fiery temper, like when she dismissed Shin that one day from the chambers. She, at one point in time while questioning Jubal, stands bolt upright, slamming her hands on the heavy wooden table, which causes the table to shake and Jubal to shake a little bit. She's more a soldier than an aristocrat, and that's scary. There's a great deal of intimidation when she stands up. She seems taller and she seems larger. She's not frightening because she's a queen. She's frightening because she's a force to be reckoned with. I approve, as I'm sure do my companions. Did Jubal spill his guts? Jubal is insisting on his innocence. He was the one that came to us saying that this fellow is crooked. Is he going to tell the queen the same story? He vomits forth information as quickly as he can. He is in self-preservation mode. That is clear. He drops the facade of the cheerful, happy-go-lucky, charming rogue and immediately goes into self-preservation mode, bowing as best he can from his seat in the chair at the other end of the table 
pleading, looking to every one of you that remains there for help and moral support. I provide none. (laughs) (laughs) Just as Jabal's being dragged away, and you're not too sure where he's being dragged away to, but you know wherever he ends up, it's not going to be a pleasant experience for him. That's just a feeling you have in your gut. Lovak, Shin, and Ku enter the chamber. Why do I feel like we missed something good? You missed Jubal pleading for his life, in a sense. You did. It was good. Your grace. It was entertaining. You need to see what we found. You have found something? Is Kushim okay? Is he well? Quite the opposite. It appears he's a traitor to the crown. She gasps. May I approach? Of course. And I will lay out the book, the brooch, and the journal, and then flip the journal to where it starts talking about his love of the princess. And we'll say, there you go. It's plain as black and white to me. You've even dog-eared the pages that you want her to read. Yep. Most of these items were found in secret compartments. Where? In his room. A small tear trickles down her right eye. It's most disappointing. My dear Kushim is a traitor. And Jubal hears this and whips his head around and says, See! See, my queen! Jubal is still a loyal servant of the crown. Beloved, beloved crown and beloved queen. Mr. Ku. Can I take his tongue now? My t- no. No, nope. leave, his, leave his tongue in his head. Mr. Ku, please. But please get, tell him, her. get him out of here. I address the guards as if I'm ordering them <laughs> and then seem to re- realize myself and pardons my queen. She nods her head towards the guards and they, they drag him out forcefully. The whole while he's saying, Mr. Ku, my friend, my friend, Jubal needs you, please. And you can hear that gradually fading off in the distance as they drag him down the hallway. Why won't you answer me? <laughs> Ku will remark that Jabal was suspicious of Kushin all along. Mr. Ku, you mean to tell me that that snake... The snake oil salesman, yes. Actually, the one to trust. I don't know if trust is the right word. Your trust was better placed in him, even though it was still misplaced. That is even more concerning. I think it took a snake to find a snake. How is it you came by this information, Mr. Ku? As I was walking out with Jeel to head to Jabal's manor to perform beginning of our operation into the Amendelok's manor, I overheard Kushin and Jabal arguing, and they were basically pointing the finger at each other. And I do not understand how you arrived at this conclusion that Kushin was a traitor, based on the word of Jabal? Well, I had no concrete evidence, and they were just pointing at each other, and now it appears we have concrete evidence. Ah, I see. The course of action, be it to me now. Sad, a modification of our contract is necessary. If, of course, you are willing to take on an additional... Let us negotiate. Bring me the head of Kushim. Compensate you. To go? What do you believe would be a handsome enough payment for this? We seem to have established that uh, about 10,000 gold is the price of a head. Potentially have that in gems. Transporting 10,000 gold coins is quite heavy. Of course. Platinum. Gems are good. Gentlemen, the hunt is on. Indeed, the hunt is on, the queen says. Must ask you to leave immediately. What time of day is it currently? It's late afternoon. The sun is about to set. Are the horses saddled? I will see that they are. Shall we gather our stuff and leave? There's a princess to be saved. So we're on an island, and... Is there a route by boat which could shorten our trip? Going into the jungle at night might be more treacherous. You would have to traverse the jungles anyway. 
to get to Zeron's lair. I think, though haste is of the utmost importance, I feel like venturing into an unknown jungle at night is probably not the best idea. It also seems Kushin, as much as he might have broken the queen's trust, he will not harm the princess, and he will see that no harm comes to her. He does have roughly half a day's lead on us. At least. The queen holds up the journal and says, My daughter's safety is at risk, but the presence an old god in Hymurin places everyone at risk. Definitely something you don't want to be the grandmother to. We need to leave immediately. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. It's only the dark. I'm not afraid of the dark. I'm just... It's what lives in the dark. I will see that appropriate provisions are provided for you. My grace, there was mention of uh, uh, an experienced jungle guide when we first negotiated this. Can we make that person available post-haste? Of course. Thank you. Yeah, so it'll be helpful to have some questions for him as well. If it's possible, may we retain our guard? Just the one. I cannot allow that right now. Too bad. I now trust him. Your Grace, just one further thing. And I placed the five heavy books. I had placed them on the table previously, but I kind of pushed them towards her. These are found in Amanda Knox library. They contain pictures, and which could be ritualistic in nature. I did not have time to study them, but perhaps put these in front of your scholars. Perhaps contained, there may be more information that helps you to determine the purpose of that book. I thank you, Mr. Moulet. All right. Your Grace, before we leave... And I flip the journal over to the page of the 25 listed soldiers. Does this list have a significance to you? Those are all members of my personal guard. Then this is either a hit list or a list of people we need to watch out for. She hands the journal to the older gentleman standing alongside of her. He nods. May your grace be safe for our return, because we will return. Thank you. And you are shown out. Attention all Dungeons & Dragons fans, Red Dirt D&D brings you the world's greatest role-playing game with an Americana twist. Join a cast of characters like Jaska, a Yodi Ranger. I don't know much about the gnolls, but if you greet people with a smile and just be calm and courteous, everybody will be willing to listen. Beatrix, a tabaxi rogue. Hey, y'all, this looks like a rug made out of astroturf. Blackjack, a jackalope folk warlock. I do have large feet. Thank you for noticing. Twitch, a rat folk necromancer. Soon the world will be mine. Stop laughing. How dare you? Easy now. There's no need for violence. Zianzi, a spiderkin cleric. My favorite flavor of blood is red. What's yours? And Billy, a possum fighter. Underestimating me would be the last thing you do. Red Dirt D&D includes original music and sound effects. We'll also keep the program short, only about 40 minutes, so you can easily listen while driving or working out at the gym. New shows drop every Wednesday and are totally free. You can listen to the latest episode and catch up with past performances on Google and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you get your favorite online programs. You can find out more information at Red Dirt D&D on Facebook, Twitter, and at reddirtdnd.com. Back to your quarters on the palace grounds. Moments after your arrival, once your your personal belongings are packed up, horses arrive at your front door. The reins are handed to each one of you, and you're told 
They won't get you far into the jungle, I'm afraid. But they'll get us out of the city in a hurry. That they will. Who am I riding with, or am I provided a dog? You can ride with me like you have in the past. Okay. And our guide is there as well? He is not. Where is the guide we were promised? Waiting for you at the gate. Okay. I mount up. Put your gear on your horses, head towards the palace gate. There is a very sturdy-looking and unimpressed Karuvarin standing alongside a stout pony. He's got a long red beard, his hair is in long red braids, and it's streaked with silver, covered in wrinkles. He looks like Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> kind of craggy looking. He's been outdoors a lot, you can tell. He's a deep, deep brown color. He's wearing a wide-brimmed hat. Flicks the front of his hat up, looks you up and down, shrugs his shoulders, mounts his pony, and says, I guess you'll do. Come. And he starts out the gate. Oh. He doesn't say anything, but he picks up the pace, assuming that you'll do as well, and you race through the city streets and out the eastern gate. After a few hours' ride, it begins to get very, very dark. Fortunately, the moon is full, very ominous. It's almost a blood-red color. Ah. (laughs) You notice Shin continuously looking up at this blood-red moon, and he'll stare for quite a long period of time before he shakes his head and begins to fall back in line with the rest of you. When those first few hours pass by, your caravan guide stops, dismounts, ties his pony up to a tree. No more riding. Stop, dismount, tether my deer, tie off my horse. He'll do the same and he'll pull out his orbit direction just to see what the heading is that we're going. You've been traveling eastward for a while. The guide points his finger Northeast takes a, a really stout walking stick off his pony and begins to walk into the jungle. Keep up. Tuco says, hold on, hold on, hold on a second here. Now, I don't know your name. I don't know nothing you about didn't you. didn't ask. I'm asking you now. What's your name, sir? sir? You could call me Tack. Do you even know where we're going? I've got an idea. You know we're going to the keep of Zeron, right? Okay, you know where that is? I don't know where it is. Okay. I know where it may be. How long do you think the trip would take for us to get there on foot? For us, probably far longer than I have the patience for. For me, about two-thirds less the time than when I'm dragging a bunch of heel stompers along behind me. I don't want to tie this horse up to the tree and have it starve to death. Ah, it'll be fine. There's plenty around for it to eat. It won't eat anything poisonous. Well, yours might, but mine won't. That's all I really care about. Now, you've been out here before you got any tips. Should we be putting on some sort of bug juice? Uh, uh, Help me understand what we're about to walk into a little bit. Tip number one, shut up and listen to me. Tip number two, don't fall far behind because I'm not going to go looking for you in the jungle and something will probably eat you. Tip number three, don't eat anything unless I tell you to. And tip number four, and the most important one, shut up. And do as you're told. Can we go back to tip two about the things that are going to eat you? I think we're going to need a bigger boat. Can you say more about the things that might eat me in the jungle? There's a lot of them. The bugs will sting you and kill you. The birds will dig your eyes out. And there's all manner of large, hungry things in there. There's spiders the size of a serving platter that'll crawl on your face, disintegrate your flesh, and suck it through the hole it made. I look around at my group and say, well, this sounds fucking terrible. Sounds just like home. Well, it's the contract. With a sense of relief. It's yeah. a safari. Well, what are we standing around talking for? Exactly. I take the saddlebags off the horse, stuffing any provisions that I can off of any of the horses that have been left behind, including if there's any oats for the horse, I'm going to bring those too. I'm going to 
model after Lovac, looking into the jungle, just keep both hands on the daggers. He jams a torch into the ground, strikes his flint and steel a few times, and lights it up. It's nighttime. I pull mm-hmm. out my moon-touched dagger to act as a uh, light. All right, who's bringing up the rear? Actually, the big bastard there. He points to Jeel. I won't lose sight of him. Hands you the torch. Take it. He lights a lantern, hands it to Lovac. I prefer to walk through the Embrace of the Dark, but I guess if I'm stuck with it. Well, the problem with the Embrace of the Dark in the jungle, sir, is that it will gladly embrace you, and I don't feel like carrying my lantern. So I will carry the lantern. Can you tell me the guide's name again, please? Tack. Why don't I carry the lantern? In case it should come to swift combat, I'd like your sword hand free. You hear a long, irritated sigh. (sighs) I'm going to leave you behind. No, you're not. Just start walking. We'll follow. Mind your tongue. Taps you with his walking stick. Do as you're told. I tap him Remember. with my walking stick. <laughs> Rule number one. Shut up and do as you're told. You'd make a big meal. You're a buffet line in the jungle, my boy. A buffet line. Something's going to look at you, and they're going to think, I'll fill my belly for a while. I could eat on you for a long time. Fall back. Hold your torch up high so we can get a good look at you so we don't lose you. I fall back with my torch up high. Now I'm worried about what's in the jungle. <laughs> Scream loud <laughs> if something bites you. He goes trudging off ahead of you. Single file. It's not a city street, you know. All right, so what's our marching order? Jeel's obviously in the back. Tax in front. Yep. Lovac, you want to be right behind our guide. I'll come behind you with a lantern. Then I'll be behind Lovac with my dagger be acting as a light right. source. So you between us then. Lovac, then you, mm-hmm. then me. Lantern. And me. Shane. I'll be right in front of Jeel. Okay, yeah, two cover then, Jeel. And watch the wee one. Something will scamper off with him. How much do you weigh? Which do I weigh? Um, I weigh unequipped. I weigh 75 pounds. With equipment, I am about 150, 160. I was thinking of a carry, but that sounds like too much. I'd get tired quick. As you enter the jungle, the jungle canopy blots out all the light. It is pitch black, and you can't see more than a couple feet in front of you. Tack will often rumble back at Moulet to keep up. I can't see if you're too far behind, boy. Maybe you should be carrying a lantern. If I had to carry a lantern, I wouldn't need you now, would I? Step up. In a loud whisper, I yell, Moulet, don't forget rule number one. Shut up, Duco. <laughs> you're close. He takes you through the jungle for an extremely long period of time. Every now and then, the jungle opens up, and you cross a large field of flowers or tall swaying grasses. When you enter those areas, he barks back. Hold on to the wee one so nothing grabs him. Velociraptors? <laughs> Don't give him ideas. Crew, who are you in between again? Mule and Lovac. When the sun starts to come up, he holds up a hand for you to halt. We'll take a brief rest here. Take some food, sit and rest for a while, and then we're back in the jungle. Kuko takes out some provisions and squats down and starts eating. Look before you sit. And now he's stomping on the ground that he's about to squat down on to make sure there's nothing there. Throughout your entire journey in the jungle, it was alive. There's things moving above you, things moving below you, things moving alongside of you. Big things crashing through the jungle. At one point in time, it appeared as though the whole jungle floor was moving. Jill, when you lower your torch, you see countless ants patrolling the jungle floor, each one of them carrying a fragment of a leaf. Swat him with the, with the torch. You can almost hear the eye roll from Tack up front. You camped in forests. You camped in frigid environments of the north. You've even camped in some parts of Perth on other islands 
but you've never camped in the dense jungle before. It is an entirely new experience. We'll do a hard march throughout the day after we're done with our rest, and then we'll camp for the night so none of you die from exhaustion. See if we can make up some distance between us and this Kushim person. I'm willing to hike till he's tired. Me, not so much. Unless somebody's willing to carry me. I, I, could, I could carry you. I couldn't carry you 24 hours straight, but Tuco's got a 500-pound lift. I could even trade with Gio once in a while. What? <laughs> that, that, wasn't, that wasn't a question. And you could be an excellent lookout from that high vantage point. Mm-hmm. I got the lookout. We'll fort coup if required. If it comes Walking down up. to it, I can carry coup or his equipment, but not both. He'll bark at you to drink something, oh, I'm but drinking. not too much. Drinking. I'm fine, talk. I said drink. I'm fine. You'll melt away to nothing in the jungles, boy. Not gonna happen. He what? doesn't really drink. Just let just let him be. He doesn't eat, he doesn't drink. It's, it's his thing. Let it melt. He doesn't eat or drink. While we're resting, uh, Ku will go through his herbalism kit to try and make uh, some tonics that are refreshing with the local herbs that do that. Would you like a medicine check? Yes. 22. And hand them out to the members of the party and even offer one to Tack if he'll take one. Oh, it appears as though you know what you're doing, boy, don't you? Go drain the bottle. Thank you. You're welcome. So, you know a thing or two about plants, do you? I do. Takes a small journal out. There's some sketches in it and he points to a few pictures of plants. Go find me a good handful of each of those. Cool. Make his way out. Don't stray too far. Something to leech you. Tuco, come with me. Yeah, sure. What are we doing? We're looking for plants, herbs, yeah, awesome. Let's do it. While they're out on the hunt for herbs and plants, he barks at you again. Eat. Like he has to tell Jeel. Or Lobak. Want some oats? Take some of the oats. Yeah, I'll take some. Chew. The horses don't eat them. Chew thoughtfully. Don't eat too much. You'll be sick on this hike. Just enough. Yeah, Jeel. Just enough. Shin is starting to march a small perimeter about mm. 10 feet away from everybody, keeping an eye on the edges of the forest while everybody else is eating. Mule just sits, relaxes, eats, takes oats as offered from Lovac and uh, feels the power of his patron flow back into him, ready for use as necessary. Lovac's going to hand a sword to Gia. Get a load of this. I take it. Do you think Kasun, what the hell is his name? Kashim. Kashim, do you think he's going to be pissed off when I kill him with his own sword? Nope, and I give it right back to you. <laughs> you find the plants easily, and in time you and... Tuco return. Tack nods approvingly. That's the closest thing to it. You did a good job that it seems like you're going to get out of them. He binds them together with a bit of cordage and stuffs them in his pack. With my herbalism knowledge and Tuco's poisoning knowledge, would we be able to determine what he needed them for? If you want to make some rolls, you certainly can. 23, medicine. For my poisoning, I add my proficiency, I'd suppose, to the roll, but yes, just that. Uh, intelligence, I'd say, yeah. Intelligence. So they're trying to figure it out. Um, intelligence. Yeah. Well, investigation, medicine, survival. Investigation. Nature. Oh, all of those. Let's see. Yeah. Survival would work. What well was the best? Mm, oh, so that makes it fourteen. Survival. As far as medicinal properties go, there's a couple in there that you recognize that have medicinal properties. The rest of them, you're not too sure. It doesn't look like he's making medicine out of them. You, on the other hand, Tuco, you know. You've noticed that some of these are toxic when ingested, but it doesn't look like he's making a poison. Your best guess would be a smudge of some type to burn 
perhaps to keep insects away. And I would share that with Ku. Maybe he's making like a, a smoke for the bugs. That's what it looks like to me. Okay. Your, your first tr- night of trekking through the jungle was miserable. It was still humid. It was hot. It was taxing. It seemed like everything was uphill, even when you were walking through the fields. It was exhausting. There were a lot of obstacles, roots crawling into the path that you had to watch your step on. But probably the worst was the constant harrying of you by stinging, buzzing insects, mosquitoes and ants that would crawl up your boots onto your pants and and nip at you. It was miserable. Sleeping, you think, must be awful. But we were provided mosquito nuts and things to ward off bugs. You weren't given any bedrolls. You were provided with fishing nets is the best that most of you could come up with. Uh, Each one of you has a bit of netting and the mosquito nets as well. Approximately how big are these nets? The nets are big enough to facilitate a normal-sized large man, greater than six feet tall, but not quite as big. Sweet. I've got a hammock. Yep, that's what I was thinking, too. Chill. You could roll around in yours, like, all day. <laughs> it's so large. Trampoline park. Jill, would you like to borrow mine? I won't be needing it. I'll take it. I just hope to survive until nighttime, so. Fix it to my bedroll. He barks at you and says, up, and starts walking off into the jungle. Don't forget to put the torches out. Sheath my dagger. Pull out the lantern. The sun is starting to get really hot. It is that time of the day where the heat just becomes gradually more oppressive as the day wears on. Jail gets slower. It's awful. It's absolutely miserable for most of you, but for Jill, it's torturous. Only positive to it is there are moments where the canopy is so dense that the sun doesn't penetrate it, but then there's the stinging things. So it's heat and stinging things and a tremendous amount of thirst, constantly moving carpet of insects beneath your feet. Some going over your boots, some going up your legs, some landing on your arms. How they do that, you do not know, but everything here seems to bite. I'm going to walk with the netting over my head. Ku is going to (laughs) go into his pack, take out a block of incense, ask Shin to light the incense with his prestidigitation, and then smoke himself with the incense and pass the block on to his party mates. Give myself a good smudging. Tuco will rub it on himself, but Tuco has become very zen about the bugs. You don't want to rub it on yourself. It's it's a block of incense that's on fire a little bit. Kind of bathe in the smoke. smoke, After Tuco rubs it on himself a bit, he gets better instructions on how to use it. He has come to be a little zen about the bug bites, and he's almost enjoying the experience, like little stings. Oh, it's a little shiver. Something about the pain is he's starting to rejoice in it. Something you notice about Shin is is there doesn't seem to be any bugs around him. He doesn't seem to be bothered in the least bit by them. Jill is complaining about them. Constantly. Jill, would you like go spread eagle for a second and allow me to smudge you? I'll I'll smudge myself, please. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Um, And I will press digitation several puffs of air directly into his face in order to try and cool Jill down a little bit while he's smudging himself. Like I said, I am walking with the net over me, too. I'll take the smudge and smoke myself down, and then I'll find a spot in my pack where I can take a stick, put it on the end of the stick, put the stick in my pack, and I'm in front of everyone else. So they'll have to walk through the smoke. Choo-choo train. Yeah. I'm a low vacomotive. As the morning wears on and becomes early afternoon, as you're traveling through a relatively open area, 
it's a broad open area. It's nice because you can see the sky. It's terrible because the sun just beats down upon you hard. And as you pass through that and enter the jungle again, you hear a lot of cursing and grumbling coming from up ahead and around a corner. Stealthy person, Tuco, maybe? Yes. Should yeah. we uh, take a look ahead? Tack. Sure. Can we stop here momentarily? Aye. Tuco approaches Tack. You hear those voices? Let me go check that out. I'll be, uh... Cools as well. Keep your head down. With full stealthiness, I attempt to, uh, approach the voices just within visual range. Same. Make some rolls for me. 17. 2 plus 7. 9. Ku, you easily crouch low, disappearing amongst ferns, behind trees, large rocks. Sometimes you're even standing out in the open, but it's perfectly still. You can't help but chuckle as you watch Tuco, not so stealthily, but making a very good attempt at being stealthy, crash his way through the jungle, stopping for a minute and then continuing until he snaps a twig or gets stung by something particularly nasty and curses. Telepathically, is that how an assassin sneaks? Well, not normally, but I'm off my game. Shut up, shut up, (laughs) shut up. Telepathically, shut up. Ku, as you round the corner, you see a large snail. The largest snail you've ever seen. It is of massive proportions. Its shell has several saddlebags, sacks, barrels, pots, pans, and other things attached to it. There is atop it not so much a saddle as it is a almost throne-like chair with cushions, a wine flask dangling from the top of the chair, and a set of reins. On the path, which is quite large, there's all manner of items strewn about. There is a short, stocky goblin dressed in brightly colored clothes, busying himself with picking up all of these items. He's holding in one hand a bag that's got a large hole in it, looking like it was recently torn, and he's cursing. And in between curses, he's carrying on a conversation with someone, but you don't see anybody else there. There's no, like, rock biters... Men with bats. No. Tuco strides out of the jungle confidently and greets him in the goblin language. Hail! Snaps up. Good day, sir. Greetings and salutations. You appear like you could use a hand. It depends on what is being given. Well, the hand to to gather your items back up. I can assure you I have no money. I have no gold. I have no items of real value. I have no interest in your equipment, sir. I was just going to help you clean up a little bit. Ah, very well. And so Tuco starts to help him clean up a little bit and starts the conversation. Where you going? Where you coming from? Tuco makes his way back to the party and lets them know that it looks like it might be a goblin merchant and that Tuco has taken it upon himself to just go greet the guy. Well, I guess we may as well just continue on up there. Then. And he's got a giant snail. When I approach and start to help clean up, is there anybody he was talking to? No. No, there's not. He hands you a large sack so you could put the items in. I'm on my way to Majapu. Oh, yeah. I also let the party know that he was talking to somebody that I couldn't see. So I just do small talk with the guy. And where are you heading? We're going deep into the jungle. We're chasing the princess. Ah, I see. A jungle princess. Yes. Ah, the stuff stories I'm made of. He reaches into his robes and flips a few pages in a small book and begins to scribble something down. That'll be a good story to tell at the tavern. A jungle princess. Yes. Tale of high adventure. I hear her hair is like long grasses. She must be ugly. 
And Tuco just continues to talk sort of nonsense. Most women aren't as attractive as goblin women. Goblin women have some measure of attractiveness, even to me. My Bernice. The, the fangs on her. And so Tuco will ask for more information. Oh, tell me, you have a family, yada, yada, that kind of stuff. And he goes on to discuss having a large litter of children and they eat and how expensive they are, how much of his money his mate spends and how he's got to spend more time traveling. But it's nice to be away from home because it's loud and it's peaceful in the jungle. You travel through the jungle alone? My trusted companion is with me at all times. Do I see him wave at the snail? Yeah. Well, I saw one of those snails in action in the city. Sturdy beast, isn't it? Indeed. And one of the few beasts that can actually traverse the jungle path effectively. Do you not fear for your safety here in the wilds? We don't see many highwaymen in the jungle. Well, I wasn't thinking men, more beasts and bugs and nasties. One would think that a goblin would be a nice meal. Would they not? Oddly enough, snails are a fine deterrent to predators. Really? That's fascinating. It's difficult to eat. And so the predators just leave you alone as long as you're, what do you, you mount it? My chair up there, it's a rather comfortable ride. I wish I had known this days ago, but it does seem to go at a snail's pace. (laughs) Yes, it does. But one does not want to travel too swiftly through the jungle, break an ankle. Wise words, wise words. One must take their time navigating these jungle pathways. Trust you're going to go further. Yes, my my companions will be here momentarily, I'm sure. Uh, companions, not highwaymen. No, no, we we are we are men of honor. We're in search of the princess. Ah, of the jungle. Yes, uh, jungle princess and all that business. The, and then, we are brave and great heroes, honestly, really. And that is what you hear from Tuco as the rest of the group approaches to see him helping a goblin gather up their wares. Good day, sir. He raises one clawed hand. I will raise one clawed hand in return. Good day to you. Tell me about this princess. I slowly turn and look over at Tuco. What have you been telling him? Tuco says, meet my new friend. We should be going. Give it. We should be going now. Pleasure to meet you. He waves. Tuco, I think this man has his business under control. Absolutely, absolutely. We were just passing by. I thought I'd lend a hand. We'll see you later. Be careful. Moving into Watuabe country. Who are the Watuabe? What are the Watuabe? Why are the Watuabe? I'm stopping there. (laughs) They're not very friendly, he says as he unrolls a rope ladder and begins to climb up it. Pulls it up ahead of him, behind him. Tack, do you have information about this? I I do. Okay, we can discuss on the way then. I didn't want to rattle any of you. Do we look like we rattle easily? I don't suppose we luck out and you have a Wanatabi wife? No. How? Okay. That would be too good to be true. So you're a merchant, yes? I am. Anybody in particular you're going to see in uh, the city? The entire population. The bazaar is a good place for a merchant to be. What this is time selling? of year? I sell it? everything. The finest of cookwares. Cures for poisons and ailments. Rub a little of this on your head, sir, and you might grow a little bit more hair. If you've got digestion problems, this will take care of them. If you want to make a nice meal, you have to have the proper instruments, of course. So, a pot, a pan, and utensils. Utensils for the civilized diner. I'm walking away. I'll take some of those utensils. Ah, you use utensils. Wonderful. What would you like? I have spoons. I have forks. I have a combination of, wait for this, a knife and a fork. And a spoon. He produces one. The back end 
You see traces of finger along the spoon is a spoon, but the front of the spoon is not blunted like the spoons you are used to, my boy. These have the tines of a fork on them. Are you eating steak? Of course you are. Big fella like you eats a lot of steak, don't you? Yes. And he flips it around the back end of the handle. Is a knife. Everything a distinguished gentleman like you, my boy, needs to dine. I'll take one. J- uh, just out of curiosity, what is the size of this? Because Goblin, is it Valrakian or Balrakian? Bal. What's the size? Is it like Goblin size, human sized, or Balrakian? It, it's human size. Did it look like a toddler spoon in his hand? <laughs> I need a bowl and a cup with it. Well, of course you do. And he reaches in. This is, no, this I don't. Here, hold. Hold this. See how it feels in your hand. Almost like a well-balanced weapon. It, Try it. Fiddle like about this. with it. It feels good, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. You guys want one? I have walked away. A bowl. Yes, this. I want one. I want one. Get two. This, I think. Men, please finish your business quickly. We have to get on. Ah, yes. I have something for you as well. We don't want to leave you yeah, behind. No kidding. This is a fine bowl. I'll take two you bowls. look like... Two cups and two of these. Ah, he's hammered tin bowls. The finest tin. He's already buying them. Hand them over. Have him pay you. Yes. And the cups to go with it. Yes. Yes. One gets thirsty. Another one of my magical forks. I'm gonna stop. Turn to Moulet. Can I kill him now? It'll be five silver pieces. I'm not sure that's necessary. However... I'll reach into my my pouch. We must be away, so... And gather five silver. To go. I thank you. Take what you need. Let's go. Jingles the coins in his hands. Come on, big guy. Let's go. And bids you farewell and barks, yeah, snaps the reins, and the snail takes off down the path, one inch at a time. <laughs> I'm going to give Tuco his little magic fork spoon here. Tuco's not even going to put it away. He's playing with this. This is cool. From beneath the umbrella, the goblin leans out, waves to you. I'll see you in Mazchapur. Come and see me in the bazaar. I'll be there all month. Watch out for the Watuabe. They're cannibals. <laughs> It'll only take you a month to get there. Pleasant journeys. And then to, once the party reassembles to attack, what are the Watanabe? The Watuabe, they're a tribe that's very territorial. They reside in the jungles here. They don't like the Mashapurians. They have a storied history with them. Conquering, slavery, all that messy business with colonization. They don't like intruders. They were friendly, I hear, at one point in time, but... Friendly didn't get them much, but shackles. So now I hear they're cannibals. They'll eat you. They don't eat one another. Huh? But they'll probably eat you. Definitely eat you, he says as he looks at Jill. So I'm an appetizer and you're the buffet. It'll be a good day. Do we have to go through their territory? We don't mean? have to, but this is the quickest way to where we suspect Zeyaran's keep is. Is there a way for us to barter our way through? There's always a way. Perhaps they'll leave us alone, but perhaps they won't. It depends. None of us are Perthans. They don't like the Perthans. The fact that none of us are, that may be to our benefit. And the Perthans might be grateful if the Watanabe were to suddenly die off. What do you mean, die off? What are you talking about over there? Is the assassin really asking me that? (laughs) If we haven't got time to talk to the snail guy, how have we got time to kill an entire village? I don't know if I would like to be party to genocide. If they come looking for a fight, they'll have one. If they don't... Just let me do the talking before you start swinging steel around. 
You hear that, Tuco? Let Tack do the talking. Yeah, okay. Today. The jungle trail begins to lead ever steadily upward until it's extremely steep. And you find yourself pulling yourselves up the trail from tree to tree. Eventually, you make it to the top of this rise where you can see the jungle below you and the jungle that is crawling up the mountain. For a period of time, you're walking across somewhat treacherous and narrow ledges. Your pace slows down quite a bit. Tack is frequently holding his hand up to have you stop. He barks out commands every now and again. Keep one hand on the rock wall. And after a few hours of treacherous travel, you enter into the jungle yet again. Late afternoon, Tack holds up a hand, commanding you to stop, and says, Shh, scan the forest, but don't make direct eye contact if you see anything. Understand? What are we looking for? I think you'll know when you see it. There's one of them standing directly in front of us, off to the left, in the jungle. Active perception or passive perception? Active. 18. What'd you get, Bill? A one. Not 20. 10. Let me add my perception bonus. Zero. It's a one. (laughs) Seven. (laughs) Who got the nat 20? You got an 18, Koo? Got a 19. Gio with a 19. Tuco with a nat 20. 10. Boulay with a 10. Seven. Seven. I'm busy looking at my new sword. Gio, you don't have to look very far. You just shift your eyes without even moving your head to the left of you. Mm -hmm. And you see, at, at first you don't see anything but jungle. But then you begin to see the outline of a form. It looks like a giant upright tortoise. Two hands holding a spear. It's wearing a feathered headdress and it's off to your left. And I'll slowly point so everybody sees where I'm pointing and I'm right there. Jill points and says, right there. Tack swings around, glares at Jill. You damn fool! And just then, a spear thuds into Tack's chest and he falls backwards. And that's where we'll leave it this week. Join us every other week as the Eve's Watch continue their adventures in Perth. Thank you to our patrons. Find us on Patreon to join the executive producers team and support the podcast. Our cast, Bill Robitaille, Louis Aponte, Frank Whedon, Jared Parker, Marcus Holt, Sin Morse, our DM, Scott, and me, Nova. Thank you our listeners, for joining us every other week.